0: friends and neighbors you're listening to Portland from the Left. My name's Josh
1: and I'm Piper and today we're going to talk about the media coverage of the Normandale Park shooting in Portland, Oregon.
0: We wanted to do a content warning before this episode because we're both going to be talking about far-right extremist violence at a protest, a shooting, a mass shooting that happened just a few weeks ago and then we're also going to be talking about the response to that. So there's a lot of reactionary commentary, people insulting the victims of the shooting.
1: We thought we would take this a little bit chronologically because the order that these things happened and how long they happened for, I think is a huge part of what we need to pay attention to in this story. How did you first learn what was happening?
0: Uh, I don't have this necessarily documented because it was a pretty busy night for communicating with people and texts and direct messages and stuff. But I think I saw somebody I didn't follow say, say there was a shooting. Um, and so I don't remember the account either, if there were somebody that was there or anything.
1: But when you say the account, like you're talk- are you just talking about Twitter?
0: I am just talking about Twitter. So yeah, so I was, uh, you know, presumably sitting on my couch in my living room perusing Twitter.
1: The reason I started using Twitter a lot more in the past couple of years did have to do with the uprising and that being a place where I could get sort of like really in the moment news from people I trusted. So if I wanted to know where were people right now and where I should show up, um, you know, is there something really, is there enough numbers somewhere, Th- things like that? Um, I sort of got into a habit of that being a source. So it's, it's sort of like a breaking news thing, but from your friends,
0: hmm, hmm. breaking news from your friends.
1: Um, at least that's how I think of it.
0: <laughs> I actually muted the words breaking news because some of the most <laughs> annoying tweets have breaking news in them. Uh, but actually it really doesn't work to my benefit when there's actual breaking news. So yeah, I mute a lot of stuff
1: from what I remember, um, what I already knew was that someone had come to um, this this march, which is a common march that happens twice a week, usually in Portland. It is a very controlled march. It's very regulated. There's a lot of rules about it. Um, in fact, like Josh, I think we were talking about the other day, like we're not really, we don't really even like rules that much personally. So like we don't
0: even really go to that march. Yeah, um, it's named, and the and the kind of group around it's named Justice for Patrick Kimmons. And uh, Letha Winston is the leader of this march. And Patrick Kimmons, of course, was one of the people that have been murdered by Portland Police Bureau. He was shot nine times in the back. And so Letha uh, frequently says, you know, this is justice for Patrick Kimmons and all others affected by police violence. So they're like a real targeted group, a group that marches very consistently in neighborhoods all over the city. Um, At different times of day, too. Sometimes I do evening marches, sometimes middle of the day stuff. Of course, it's a group of people from all over Portland and the surrounding area. Mm -hmm. I think that's what is sometimes getting missed in a lot of the coverage. Because I've seen a lot of like, especially in the far right stuff, it's like Antifa shooting, stuff like this. But this is a specific group of people that have been working on this project for years at this point.
1: What I heard first is this march that I'm very familiar with its existence, um, that someone came up and shot people at the march. So that's all I knew. At the point that people were shot, um, but someone had like come to shoot them. So That was the extent of it.
0: I think the second thing that I um, ha- heard about it, you know, again, this is kind of just unverified friends of friends on Twitter, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, Piper and I both had friends at the march and then also like that were um, kind of relaying information uh, a little bit. And so I think the second thing that I knew about it was that protesters who were armed had interrupted the mass shooting um, with return gunfire again, very fuzzy details, and mm-hmm. it was like it just—it uh, seemed that the uh, the shooting, the active situation, was over.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is not the first time that this march has been targeted with violence from outsiders. Um, I know Josh, you were reviewing a, a recent other time that this has happened.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it was just a few months ago, and this this has been a recurring theme with their marches because they've been targeted by the far right. Particularly, um, Andy No and other propagandists like him, uh, they post you know where the march is coming up. They post the flyers. We've also got other you know anonymous and semi-anonymous accounts targeting these marches specifically because they're consistent and they're in the public. Mm-hmm. And specifically, there's one recent time a few months ago when somebody in a bright red truck um, was you know, coming down the street, facing the march, the march was on a pretty small, you know, in Portland, particularly in the neighborhoods and stuff, we have small side streets and stuff. It was a pretty small side street, not the kind of thing that could have two cars pass each other along with the cars parked on the street, and especially not with a march and a protest going through. And And the footage I saw from one of the live streamers that was at the event showed this person pulling up. It, it showed them getting really aggressive, immediately kind of leaning out their car and brandishing a weapon, a firearm of some sort. And after kind of being, being uh, chilled out a little bit, he kind of got back fully into his truck and then drove through the march. Mm-hmm. And so the protest kind of like put up with this basically and just dove out of the way, tried to protect everybody. And as he was leaving, he then stopped again, got out of his car with his um, gun stuck in the back of his pants and, and started to rush the protesters again. Um, And it was just like a time after time after time. At that point, he was interrupted. Somebody tackled him, you know, got a gun away from him. And that situation has actually been represented by Andy Ngo and other people like him as though the protesters and the people there were attacking this random dude who was just going Mm -hmm. about his business. But this is a man who had driven by the protest before, had done things like this before. And I believe he faced some charges for this event. I don't know where that is in the system. You know, cases are taking a long time and stuff. But this is is not like a a protest attacking a neighbor that's just randomly there. This is literally some dude attacking a protest full of neighbors.
1: And there have been other instances at these marches of people coming after them, car attacks, that kind of thing. Um, Car attacks are pretty common in Portland. Um, They become increasingly common. Um, So a few of the things that anytime there's a protest in Portland um, of any scale or organization level, there will be people called corkers who block off the streets. So if you're marching from one place to another, um, folks on bikes, motorcycles, sometimes cars, um, sometimes even standing there, will go ahead of the march and block off the other street so that cars have to go around, basically, so that no one gets hit by a car, um, purposely or accidentally. Um And then also there are folks that do have self-defensive weapons um, that often are with the march they carry them. That happens pretty much anywhere. Um, it's legal in Portland.
0: The quick specific notes about uh, that will be helpful to understand this particular protest and the people like adjacent to it is that um, if you have your concealed carry in Oregon, you can also carry uh, a open um, loaded weapon. So that, that's kind of the requirement to carry a loaded weapon. There's uh, more restrictions when you're in, like, federal property or near certain buildings and stuff like that. Um, but uh, specifically, many of the people involved with this particular march do have concealed carry. They also have been training a lot with firearms and stuff like that because they've been attacked uh, with firearms. Mm -hmm. So there's some need for self-defense. And again, we'll remind you, this is a very standard Black Lives Matter march, meaning that they're protesting police violence. Mm -hmm. So the idea that they they would have anyone else to call for help when being attacked is just false. Like they they have no backup, they have no um, defender or protector. So it is like imperative on them as a group to protect themselves. Part of that is people like corkers, you know, blocking out the streets yeah. and making sure other cars don't run into you. Part of that is people prepared to deal with, you know, other threats of violence and all of that's working toward a whole of, of literally just walking down the street and, and saying, you know, police shouldn't kill black people. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's we're not talking about something very complicated or something very aggressive.
1: Mm-hmm. They're just trying to gather and march and yell the names. Absolutely. So then the first stories start coming out in the local media, sort of in that break, more official breaking news context.
0: Yeah, we started seeing updates specifically from local reporters that we know.
1: And those stories universally cited the police. Yep. Or <laughs> someone familiar with the investigation, which is probably anonymous police, most likely.
0: Yeah. I, I wanted to point this out because the some, someone familiar with the investigation, I think, the entirety of my life, I've read over that and not really noticed it. I, I sincerely don't know that I've ever like connected the dots that like clearly people familiar with the investigation are going to be police or, you know, mm-hmm. somebody working for law enforcement or whatever. Just to highlight that again, when you read something like someone familiar with the investigation said that is a off the record cop mm-hmm. um, and, you know, you know, our position on the police, we don't need to necessarily reiterate that. Yeah. Um, but it's important to know where information is coming from, which is a big part of this media response.
1: What we heard from their story was there was a homeowner in some kind of a clash. There were shots in the clash.
0: Shots fired, Yep.
1: And this stayed the totality of the information from the police for days. So we have a few days of the homeowner clash story going on being reported in all of the local media outlets. Some of them said allegedly, most of them did not. They said things like confirmed from the police, things like that.
0: Especially in the headlines and then the the Twitter post itself, um, because a significant portion of the public can't even read some of the Oregonians uh, articles as an example, but also just people don't click through past a tweet. So there's some kind of responsibility on local media to, uh, to actually clearly portray the, the truth in, in even you know, short form media like tweets mm-hmm. or uh, in other places like on Facebook or whatever.
1: And we know in retrospect that within two hours, the cops actually knew that it was not a homeowner. Now we know that. So now we know for days there was this, this terminology sitting out there in the world of there being a clash with a homeowner when they actually, the only information they were giving, what they already knew was false.
0: There's actually even um, uh, the following day, so Sunday, they uh, d- attempted a, a, a press conference or something out, out on the street for some reason, presumably, so people would show up and protest it, which we did, um, uh, you know, people did. And then later uh, on Sunday, they had a, like a Zoom presser with the public information officer and some of the press. And specifically, he wouldn't even commit to the fact that the shooter was not at large. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one journalist who, who asked like, can, can people, is it safe out there? And he just said like, uh, oh, people have guns. I don't know.
1: And he's like, some people are safe with their guns. Some people aren't safe with their guns. Who knows?
0: Yeah. And this is after like the day after a mass shooting, this guy's not even mm-hmm. telling us that the shooter's in the hospital, which is a thing that we knew.
1: The police would not even confirm that. And he had not been charged at this point, which I don't think is that abnormal with him being in the hospital, but I think it's pretty abnormal to not say that he's in the hospital. Just to be like, who knows where he
0: is? (laughs) I keep oscillating between thinking that some of these decisions or some of the the problems with the police response are attached to low staffing numbers. But honestly, there's no reason to trust that because they've been slowing down work this entire time. So the fact that it puts the public in danger, like police kill people. So that's just more liberal bullshit in the back of my head, convincing me that people in power are good. Mm -hmm. If you need to hear somebody say that, there you go.
1: He knew where he was.
0: Right, right. They could have just said, no, no, the shooter's in the hospital. We're good. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: They it could it. have said something vague like, "He is unable to harm anyone. We can confirm that.
0: Well, and we've, we've mostly been talking about the police response so far. And specifically, I wanted to highlight one of the phrases we got out of, I believe Shane Kavanaugh was the f- one that posted it. And it was mm-hmm. the kind of thing that was like, you know, a source familiar with the investigation said mm-hmm. that this person didn't have any political affiliations. Mm-hmm. which had a pretty big impact on some of the like tertiary sources and some of the far-right conservative media. They really hung on to that, specifically the mm-hmm. homeowner, but also with the lack of political affiliations, those are two things I heard a lot when kind of looking through that stuff.
1: So in this this period of a couple of days where this narrative was just kind of floating around and there was really no, not much of a counter narrative, just like mm-hmm. literally our friends. So in this period of two days, that's when the national media started picking up the story. You know, it is a mass shooting, there's something there. It went out in a lot of different outlets. New York Times actually was surprisingly better than others because one of the victims outed themselves in order to give some quotes, so it wasn't quite as bad. But um, overall, uh, it was very bad. <laughs> overall, that police narrative made it all the way to the national media in that moment that the national media was paying attention to the story. So I, I wrote down kind of like what I consider like the peak of the narrative hitting the national, which was the Reuters. Um. Their headline was Clash Between Armed Homeowner and Protesters Sparked Shooting.
0: Clash between... Oh, read it again. Yeah, yeah, please do.
1: Clash between armed homeowner and protesters sparked shooting. So you don't even know who shot or one. It assumes there's some kind of a battle happening beforehand. There's a homeowner... So the only thing really true there is that there was a shooting because it also wasn't protesters. It was corkers who actually are the people that are far away from the march just blocking the street.
0: This headline is so bad. I'm sorry. you kind of taken me by surprise (laughs) a little bit. Um, So so number one, fuck them. And then number two, maybe as as an outlet ourselves, let's take this moment to center the victims of the shooting um i will figure out a way to get the link out for their gofundme there's two of them there's one for the folks who who, um, received uh gunshots and and also for um our friend that was murdered t-rex and then also there's a separate fundraiser for the person that was able to interrupt the shooting they also need help with security stuff and healthcare stuff so we'll make sure those links are there um and and absolutely in doing this podcast and talking about the media response, our hope is to make fewer victims. What we have actually seen is that the media response really feels like they're trying to inspire more shootings like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just wanna mention that th- this is their deal, that th- that the people were there that night and the people who got shot, this is th- their trauma and the thing that they're holding. And we wanna like extend whatever reach we have to try to fight back against the bullshit and lies that are surrounding this
1: there's a piece in The Intercept where the headline is survivors of a deadly attack on a Portland protest were victimized twice, first by the gunman, then by the police. What I wanted to add was that they're also victimized by the local media mm-hmm. or people that they share community with. Like this. These are people that live in our city. They're people we talk to. They also victimize those survivors again. So I think we don't want to leave out their culpability in this because they don't have to report this way. And I think that's. A big part of the story,
0: it really. If you think about the reporting in your local newspaper, on the TV, um, even in some of the you know local alt weeklies and stuff like that, uh, a massive chunk of the information comes from the police. When you're talking about uh, TV news specifically with crimes or something that happens quickly, frequently, their only source is the police. Mm -hmm. And so as much as, you know, we can say as as a a community or group of people or or whatever list you wanna put yourself on that's like anti-police, anti-policing, the structures and the media all around us are repeating police narratives constantly.
1: I wanna talk about what happened next Mm -hmm. because I think it also presents like an alternative way things could go. There were these couple days of this narrative hanging out there. In the meantime, so were people trying to learn the identity of the shooter?
0: Yeah, so probably starting, uh, I actually saw some of my friends that are researchers and stuff in town talking about the details of the scene and what to be looking for as far as trying to figure out the information about the shooter, also what happened. Because again, really what we have are the kind of, uh, you know, what the the victims of the shooting are actually um, comfortable with publishing at the time in the moment, combined with a police narrative. Mm -hmm. So having additional sources, additional people looking... looking into things, you know, pulling up information, that kind of stuff is really important. Specifically, I remember that that same night, within a few hours, somebody mentioned that there there weren't a lot of, like, properties you could own nearby, that it was mostly rentals and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, kind of one of these immediate, oh, wait a second, they're saying homeowner, but we already know that there's not tons of owner-occupied units nearby. Mm -hmm. So extending off of that, there there was a bunch of people that were working on the identity of this shooter. Specifically, I think they actually found out a name and had a partial ID within the night, um, and we're just confirming it the next day. And um, the shooting happened uh, Saturday evening, and then by Sunday evening, a local anti-fascist, John the Le Lefty, had actually published kind of the results of this research and information and documentation, which combined both the research from local anti-fascists that, had, that were just kind of getting involved and, and, and just participating in this shooter story because of the shooting and because of the relationship to folks that were protesting. But it also had years and years of research done by anti-fascist furries. So it turns out the shooter was formerly part of local furry communities in Portland, had had already been kicked out. You know, furries are famously anti-fascist and like really pay attention to the community and really pay attention to the dynamics and watch out for, you know, far-right people and extremists and stuff. So this is a person who had been kicked out of the furry community, who had been sent information to both PPB and the FBI. Um, on death threats and doxing and other like harassment and stuff like that his neighbors all had known him as someone who would brandish weapons or otherwise you know make threats and stuff particularly about black lives matter or about protesters and things like that
1: anti-fascist researchers um through like worked together and published through john the lefty um who is well known to local journalists Mm -hmm. um he he has his face and name he's not an anonymous account like People know who he is. He goes to many events. He shares information with them. And I believe, I don't really have like concrete evidence of this, but I believe it pushed outlets to publish sooner. So they had also been gathering this information, but the police had not yet released the identity of the shooter. And I believe it probably pushed them to publish sooner. At minimum, what it did was it gave a counterweight to this overarching narrative. There is now a different story out there. And it stopped the ability of this story to continue growing, like the false story, to continue growing within the local media.
0: So along with the homeowner narrative that really um, was ended by John the Lefty's thread, which is, again, publishing research from a bunch of other people, we, we did a little bit of Um, We talked to a few people that were involved and just talked to them about the process and stuff um, because one of the things we really think there's some opportunity for is for um, news sources that are, you know, open to the idea. Um, I really think that there might be some opportunity for local researchers, local like anti-fascists to support local news media, not necessarily give them a narrative or, really feed them anything but just kind of if we could develop a relationship where there's a little bit of communication we could potentially like just provide them information mm-hmm.
1: um, Yeah, sometimes it's just as simple as they don't know who was present at an event and anti-fascist researchers absolutely do <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah and I, I don't even necessarily I think there's a lot of things to know in town um, I, I continually find out new stuff that I had no idea about um, before and then realize that it was like very obvious to a lot of people Um, So I think this is just an extension of us wanting better information to be out there. The story that this person was a homeowner was false. And the reason that it's important for us to keep repeating that is because um, local... Local news media, and then also as an extension, the national media, they, they would consider a homeowner as someone that is you know, a part of their community. They're a dedicated neighbor, someone that cares about the surrounding area. And when you say renter, mm-hmm. they think temporary person, someone that's not connected to their neighborhood, someone that's mm-hmm. not kind of devoted to an area long-term.
1: There's also the, um, the piece that by saying homeowner, like by identifying the shooter as a homeowner, you make it seem like their home was somehow part of this... Event, mm-hmm. right? Because why is it a relevant thing to call them a homeowner? If you were just like the shooter, it's like, well, yeah, they're the person that' shot. That's the relevant down to give them. But homeowner makes it sound like, oh, there's something going on with their home. Maybe they, like came up to his home and they were doing something there, which at all did not happen at all. So it's like a homeowner, a clash with a homeowner makes it sound like it's a clash in their home,
0: then also the description of it as being a clash, I saw a shootout. Um, This was one person doing a mass shooting and then being interrupted by another person. Uh, This shooter killed one person and then put a bunch of other people in the hospital. They are the attacker. They are the person... Um, the aggressor. And so any description like clash or shootout, it's just, it's it's number one, not factual. And then also it frames the situation as though there's like two equal parties going at it or being combative when this was an attack that was stopped in any other situation where there was a mass shooting and someone stopped it with their gun, they would be celebrated. The NRA would mm-hmm. be doing, you know, commercials with them, all that kind of stuff. But because these are protesters and of black lives, they're targeted and framed with this kind of nefarious malicious intent as though you know they were doing something wrong when these are literally civil rights activists that are trying to stop policing from murdering people
1: they're people who are there to stand in the way of traffic so that no one gets run over they are not armed they stand in the way of traffic that's all they do they were wearing dresses (laughs) like they're just they're there to protect people and not they're not even participating in the march and the person who stopped the shooting actually had to come over to them to stop the shooting.
0: Yeah, these are people providing safety, not people in a clash, not people fighting. Corkers aren't picking fights, right? They're they're there to chill people out and encourage people. Hey, we'll be out of your way in a second. Just going through here. Da, 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 da.
1: So then the local media finally did, um, did report on the identity of the shooter.
0: Mm-hmm yeah and uh there's a couple things i wanted to note about that the first thing i actually think was a positive we did mention that ben smith was kicked out of the local furry community because i think our audience like understands what that means and and can take that in context and understand that the furry community and furries are not by by default you know extremists or far right or whatever they actually kick out people like this they monitor for people like this whereas i think probably a a broader audience might not be able to catch that right away it might be framed poorly for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was actually pretty happy that especially local TV news didn't really mention it. They did talk about um, his harassing posts and and him like, you know, uh, threatening people with guns and stuff like that, mentioning anti Black Lives Matter stuff on the internet, but they didn't go into detail about his relationship with the furry community. So a- as long as we're saying bad stuff about them, I actually really appreciated that. I think that was the right call.
1: So there were some things that were fine about their coverage, for mm-hmm. sure. There were still some major problems, one of which in my opinion was that it still was framed as sort of this like recent radicalization kind of thing mm-hmm. and sort of like it, this is an existing narrative that i that really bothers me when it's like all radicalization is the same just like extremism like <laughs> things are getting more extreme it, polarization the way they framed it with sort of just like this recent radicalization not a long standing set of views he holds kind of reinforced that view which Because they do so much reporting where they're like, the radical far left, putting it in the context of their overall storytelling, it is still that like extremism sort of a frame. They certainly did nothing to challenge that frame.
0: Reinforcing a radicalization in 2020 really reinforces the idea that the uprising was somehow like wrong or bad, you know, redirecting it from other things, redirecting it from his lifelong harassment and, you know, threatening people and stuff. Um, I think is is really again one of these things that is a little bit subtle, but also something that I, I think that people really trying to do the best reporting um, should be paying more attention to. Mm-hmm.
1: The Police this entire time have had a video of the event, actually. Um, there was a GoPro video that they um, took into evidence. They've had video of it the whole time. So this is a few days later. Other people broke the identity of the shooter. The police did not.
0: So yeah, in the wake of this, in the next couple of days, we didn't see any kind of official information from the police. We didn't see a lot from the mayor's office. But on Tuesday, he had a press conference that included him, uh, police chief Chuck Lavelle, the district attorney, Mike Schmidt, and then a few other state-level people. And the press conference seemed to be about combining all of the gun violence from the the previous weekend. So that included this mass shooting that we've been speaking about at length. It also included a police shooting, um, excuse me, a police murder. The police killed somebody that same weekend, uh, in fact, that same day. And then there was a separate shooting that happened the next day where a woman was killed and then also two children um, were shot. So three very serious incidents. But one was at an anti-police protest and one was the police murdering somebody. So in both of those cases, you know, police wouldn't help much. Mm -hmm. The, The police were hurting people.
1: We fundamentally believe that police won't stop any gun violence, but specifically they won't stop gun violence they committed or against their enemies.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I
1: think, I think that's very clear. Will they stop the other kind of gun violence? We don't think so, but definitely not the other two.
0: So yeah, they had this press conference and there were actually some pretty good questions from the reporters there. Um, but yeah, like I said, they're trying to tie all of this together as though gun violence is this one problem and it's encapsulating all of it. And by making it vague enough, they can move the numbers around to say whatever they want. They can say the gun violence went down, they could say the gun violence went up, and they can communicate the message they need to in order to get the funding or make the decisions they want to as far as controlling power and doing whatever they want in the city.
1: And they used, they used this as their narrative, they used this to justify increased policing um, of gun violence, which we know would not help. 100% in two of those situations, for sure.
0: You don't even have to go into the research, right? We, we can just talk about that weekend and be like, well, yeah. well, would you have helped at the protest? Probably not. It would have been very difficult to get there in time, and it's not like you've ever protected anti-police protesters. And then in the other situation, you killed somebody, so we're thinking fewer police. What do you think, Piper?
1: Fewer police, I think, would improve the situation. So this is an instance where we know for sure the police lied, like they knew he wasn't a homeowner. They were telling the news media, homeowner, it was getting repeated and got repeated so much. It made it into the national story this person who was not a homeowner. And the police knew was not a homeowner
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and was the shooter. So they, it made it all the way to the national media. And so we have all the local media having reported this incorrect story um, so badly that it told the national story and they They are unable to correct it at that point, right? Because it's done. The national media has moved on. The local media basically failed Portlanders, I think, in this situation because they took the cops at their word. So what did they do? (laughs) Did Did they reassess their standards publicly? Did they print retractions? Um, we know that the Oregonian, um, you know, they, or the Oregonian and others did do updated articles, but they didn't say they didn't like undo their old articles. Yeah, right? this
0: is the thing that we're seeing now in, in thinking about the media reaction and thinking about how we could do this better, how we can help, um, is that the initial story that gets told and particularly the details that... Um, it, it, I'm I'm thinking of it as an anti-woke agenda, but it's just broadly like anti-leftist, anti-Black Lives Matter. This is the stuff, you know, Andy No, Tim Pool, Steven Crowder, um, uh, Glenn Beck, if you want to go old school, Tucker Carlson, right? Those are national figures. Um, and these people, they'll grab on to the early story and repeat those details. And then when you go search on YouTube for, you know, Normandale shooting, the first thing you're going to find is a video from Tim Poole talking about this homeowner and how he was defending himself. Um, or you're going to have, you know, maybe something on Twitter from Andy Noe talking about this murderous JFPK mark. the following sunday the oregonian put out this editorial
1: i just want to add a little note here the oregonian is we've mentioned this before is written into our city constitution which is called the city charter as our paper of record and there's a standing contract so they're like the official paper
0: you can't can't really get more official than than the oregonian right
1: so after this happens and there's all the misinformation Mm -hmm. the oregonian reflects (laughs) What do they have to say after their reflection, Josh?
0: Well, specifically in in this op-ed, and the byline is just the Oregonian editorial board, which has a few members (laughs) that we know and have Twitter accounts and we love to talk to. And specifically, the two things that this op-ed talks about, um, I'll just quote a piece of it. It starts with the inexplicable failure by Mayor Ted Wheeler and Portland Police Chief Chuck Lavelle to provide a visible presence before the weekend was up. So their first contention is that the mayor wasn't on camera quick enough.
1: So remember we were framing, like, the victims, survivors of a deadly attack were victimized twice, first by the gunman, then by the police. Mm-hmm. Oregonian, so we're positing they were also victims of um, the local media. Oregonian is positing that they are victims of a lack of a good PR presence from our mayor.
0: Yeah, and I don't. I don't, like disagree that having you know the the leader of the city quote unquote, on camera saying reassuring words is nice particularly when people are upset but number one Ted Wheeler has no connection with the community of people and the, the groups represented at this protest we actively hate him tried to recall him voted against him I have multiple pieces of clothes that say fuck Ted Wheeler like it's it's clearly not a good situation for him to involve himself in but the useful thing he could have done for the, for the city is to actually publish the information about the sh- shooter make sure the police publish that hey he's in the hospital he He's not going to hurt anybody else. That's pretty useful. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe publish some information about the shooter when they found out his ID, just as as eagerly as they, you know, published uh, mugshots of protesters during the uprising. Let's see, you know, a little eagerness for this uh, a fucking murderer, right? This mm-hmm. is a coward that shot up a protest. Like, if Portland mm-hmm. is not known for things, it's known for protests. And if you go shoot up a protest, you're shooting up Portlanders, mm-hmm. And then secondarily, their other suggestion is that we should fire the police chief, like the mayor should fire the police chief, which is an interesting suggestion. I, I looked it up. We've had about five police chiefs in the last like decade or so, and there have been like incredible problems with each of them. There've been a very, very, very consistent situation with the police chiefs, and particularly in Chief Lavelle's case. Um, you know, this is the police chief that's been the police chief since the beginning of the uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, he was put in place then. Yeah. And so for the Oregonian to suddenly decide that the police chief is a problem because there was a mass shooting and he wasn't on camera soon enough is one of mm-hmm. the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It's bizarre. It's uh, considering like he is the person like at the top, If it, underneath Mayor Wheeler, of course, we blame Mayor Wheeler for all of this. But as far as organizationally, he is the next one responsible for those 6,000 assaults we experienced.
1: For tear-gassing babies.
0: For the shots fired.
1: For tear-gassing journalists.
0: The the murder that happened that same weekend we're talking about.
1: Violating restraining orders against journalists.
0: So this is the same police chief that did all of that. Um, And now, now it's gotten too far. And the Oregonian says, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We need to get rid of the police chief who as I'm trying to indicate, is really just a figurehead and does not matter at all. The, mm-hmm. the police uh, before uh, Chuck Lavelle were the same as the police. Under Chuck Lavelle, we have experienced no difference in policing mm-hmm. in the city of Portland underneath this guy's reign.
1: You should also remember that the Oregonian very recently came under fire because of receiving information from police, leaked information that was false about Joanne Hardesty, So they received false information from PPB. They printed it. Turned out it was made up. Um, And this just happened. The member of the police responsible for it, although there was more than one person responsible, but the one that's taking the blame, was just fired recently. So I wonder, Josh, um, since they just had this high-profile time where they were had by police lies, um, and then, again, during this shooting They were had by police lies. They printed them uncritically in headlines Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in their paper. They called him a homeowner, even though the police knew he wasn't a homeowner. What did they think about that? Did they reflect on that in their um, editorial?
0: No, in this piece, um, there's not a lot of self-reflection. They did suggest that protesters should talk to police.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: I just, I, In my notes, I just wrote ARMENIO in all caps next to that because, you know, we've done that before.
1: Yeah, but do you think that um, if protesters talked po- talk to the police, um, the police would have known that he wasn't a homeowner, um, even though they went to his apartment themselves?
0: You know, it's a mystery because the protesters probably wouldn't have known that. They just knew he had guns. Yeah. This motherfucker. Um. Anyway, fuck the work. Oh, oh th- so there's one more thing about this, Piper, that I want to mention. So you mentioned that they got bad info from, from PPB before and mm-hmm. they had a publisher retraction because it was a lie. Mm-hmm.
1: And this isn't the first time. This has happened many times. And
0: then this time at this mass shooting, of course, they got bad information from PPB and they had to put a little retraction at the bottom of the article, a very subtle one, you Mm -hmm. know, that blamed the police and not the people that repeated the police's misinformation. The following weekend, a driver killed somebody with their car and and the person, the victim who was murdered, um, the article reposted that the police said they were associated with a nearby homeless encampment. Number one... Not a problem, right? Lots of people living outside, lots of people camping. Um, there's not enough housing, so they need to live somewhere. And also, uh, this person wasn't associated with the local um, homeless encampment. They were actually just a neighbor, a Portlander who was walking. And the association, they even reprinted it in the article, and um, connecting it to Wheeler's narrative about people being on, you know, camping and otherwise being near busy streets and he said a recent report found that 70 percent of pedestrians killed in portland traffic crashes last year were experiencing homelessness Mm -hmm. so again repeated and repeated situations where they're printing police lies and then having to do a really light retraction later i assume Mm -hmm. because there's no one to hold them accountable i'm sure there's like journalistic entities or whatever but they all agree with them Mm -hmm.
1: and i'm thinking about like even Like, if I think about all the news outlets in Portland, um, the best-case scenario that we have currently is that some folks will publish what the police say and put the word allegedly in front of it. That's our best-case scenario. And, for instance, John the Lefty's reporting on who the shooter was wasn't printed with an allegedly. Mm Mm-hmm. In front of it, even though he's a known reporter, he doesn't have a history of lying to the to the local reporters like PPB does. He can't even get in there with an allegedly.
0: I can see how a journalist would, um, you know, convince themselves that police are a reasonable source and a good place to get information. I can see how they would say. I need to repeat this stuff because it's part of the story. I could just add allegedly or otherwise um, make it seem less important. But what Piper's pointing out is that just adding allegedly and only printing police lies doesn't really give us anything because Mm -hmm. there's still just the police narrative out out there. And the fact that you're throwing allegedly on it just doesn't matter. It just seems like legalese.
1: Why is a source that has a pattern of lying to you, Mm -hmm. particularly about certain groups of people, which in this case people they would lie about because they're enemies why would you print only their story their version of the telling of events only facts from them and not facts from people who do not have a history of lying to you it just it just the standard doesn't actually make any sense if what you're doing is seeking truth
0: one of the things i want to mention too related to this and part of kind of the whole narrative of the story is that once things kind of get out initially and once they're confirmed by reputable sources Mm -hmm. those things get repeated by far right media basically um, almost immediately tim pool specifically had a 27 minute solo video out by monday um, which didn't include any information about the shooter, only really had the initial uh, sources, the information about a quote-unquote homeowner, which is untrue. And he just riffed on it for 30 minutes and just made this really terrible scenario where Antifa come coming to get you and what are you going to do? You're a homeowner. You want to protect your property. All based on a bullshit narrative, all based on lies. And that's um, video and media that's gonna stay out there and be informing people's perspective on this event for years to come. Mm -hmm. You know, even at this point, already over a million people have seen the clip. So when we talk about not only kind of misinformation from the police, but this kind of language, this kind of framing, as it gets to far-right media, becomes inspiration for mass shooters. Mm-hmm. You're you're encouraging people to do things. This is like when they talk about stochastic terrorism, they're just talking about people encouraging kind of quote-unquote lone wolf events because there's no direct mm-hmm. connection with between Andy Ngo and this guy that shot up a protest, only the fact that he followed Andy Ngo on YouTube – Just just to mention and give a, a maybe a, a slightly more well-rounded view of this event and the, the following days and weeks, um, there was actually a really beautiful vigil set up at the um, park with you know candles and and they put up some art and put up T Rex's name and stuff like that. And it was uh, it has been a really nice place for people to come and have a moment and really connect with other people and kind of offer some. Solemnness and some some seriousness to the event um, that we really didn't get from Portland. Mm-hmm. Portland treated this like nothing. it was it was barely a story. We didn't really get that moment from Portland. We didn't get it from the authorities or anything. So I found it really beautiful that um, you know people created it for ourselves that we said, you know, a visual belongs here. this moment belongs here, and it's a really important, sincere moment, a grieving moment, something that really was significant for portlanders and
1: then Again, local media, people who we share a town with um, covered the vigil and their coverage of the vigil, this was KGW, positioned it as a threat and said there were people camping there that they didn't know if they were associated with the vigil, um, talked about there being fire and how it was against city code. Um, They actually tried to report the vigil to the the parks department, even after all this, even after... Mm -hmm. You know, the the stories that they've been telling about Portland for the past couple years, longer but intensified in the past couple years, probably contributed to his hatred of uh, BLM and Antifa and how he kind of talked about them together. And then even after all this, and even after they victimized people with their police lies, they're continuing to victimize the victims of a mass shooting. It just it's a, it's a really it's really dark.
0: Yeah, they, they, they were really framing it as though this was an invasion, as though they weren't just Portlanders being at a park. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, I certainly know that there are some rules about graffiti and fires and whatever. But, you know, the park rangers, in their response to this person reporting it, said, yeah, we're going to take care of it. When we take care of it, we're following the instructions of the commissioners in charge of parks. Thanks for your report. Um, which I, 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 that's not a quote. I have no idea. You know, they said something like that. But mm-hmm. I thought was kind of cool. I said, Hey Park Rangers, you're slightly less of a cop today. <laughs> yeah. Only slightly, watch your watch your step.